Hi, I'm Mike Morse. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic Home Edition. Today, we're going to be talking to a nationally recognized expert on all things indigent counsel. You have been watching this podcast. You understand that I am very concerned with people going to prison wrongfully. We've been talking about exonerations. We talked to Kenny Winenko and Aaron Salter. I've been having tons of meetings. And a lot of the things that I've been finding, as I've been reporting, is that the first attorney is usually bad. And this has been happening for years, and I'm hoping that it's getting better. But I just reviewed another case yesterday where the first attorney screwed up the trial. Man was convicted for life in prison. He was disbarred and disciplined many times. And this, this is just a repeating storyline that I keep hearing. So I wanted to bring on David Carroll. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse and Corey's top attorney. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. Adapt and adapt and change things up a little bit every year. Welcome, David. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be I, here. I had more of that, but but um, you've been you've been dealing with figuring out the right to counsel services for more than twenty years, providing technical assistance to to policymakers at the federal, state, and local levels. You've done numerous research projects and reports. You've testified to Congress uh, in Washington, D.C. So I guess, you know, tell tell us first of all what the uh, Sixth Amendment Center is where you're working now in Boston. Great, so we're a national nonpartisan nonprofit uh, technical assistance provider. I founded the Sixth Amendment Center about eight years ago to give policymakers a place to go to learn about what they need to be doing to fulfilling uh, the Sixth Amendment um, and to get evaluation services and just really to, to help them do what they need to do to be able to help poor people facing the potential of, of jail time. And just so people know, the Sixth Amendment gives everybody the right to counsel. Yes. Um, state courts, federal courts, uh, certain appellate offices must appoint at the government's expense adequate counsel. Yes, in any criminal case in which there's a potential of losing your liberty. So even in cases, in in misdemeanor cases where um, they may offer probation, um, and you know if you break probation and you go to jail for that, you should have had uh, adequate, effective counsel at that initial hearing. And a lot of courts don't provide counsel in those cases as they need to. Every exoneree case that I look at, I haven't looked at all of them. There's hundreds, thank God. But the first glaring bright light that's shining over the whole case is how bad that court-appointed or public defender was. Do you, I mean, that's, that's irrefutable, right? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there's a national crisis in regards to, to public defense. Um, you know, a big problem in this country is the lack of attorney at all. I've sat in countless misdemeanor courts across this country where uh, poor people aren't provided a lawyer at all. Um, and then uh, the problem that you're speaking about is if they do get a lawyer, and this is in felony, delinquency, or misdemeanor cases, 
Um, they may have an attorney who has way too many cases, is appointed far too late in the process to be effective, um, probably has financial conflicts of interest, um, uh, and oftentimes with the judge directly presiding in that court if they have a contract directly with that judge. Um, and so it's a, it's a big national problem. Um, that's not to say there aren't good places and places that do it well and um, effectively, but um, uh, it's more often the case than not that uh, pe poor people in, in uh, facing the potential loss of liberty don't get effective counsel in this country. So let's talk about Michigan, because we're in Michigan. I'm a yep. Michigan lawyer. Uh, podcast reaches all over the world, but I'm, I'm mostly concerned with Michigan. How are we doing here in our state? Well, you're doing much better than you used to. Um, uh, my time in Michigan goes back to uh, 2007, um, where um, when I was employed by the National Legal Aid Defender Association, I led a team and wrote a report that looked at 10 counties in Michigan. And at that time, I thought it was the most efficient indigent defense system I had ever viewed. Um, now, I did have the great fortune, really pleasure and privilege to work with a number of policymakers in your state. Um, and uh, the governor at that time formed a task force, appointed really excellent people, and it led to comprehensive legislative reform creating the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission. The problem is you can't just turn on a light switch and have everything fixed overnight. You know, they had to appoint commissioners, they had to hire staff, they had to uh, have all the counties and cities create plans to meet the MIDC standards. And then they had to appropriate the money. So even though the reforms happened in June of 2013, it's really just been the past year where the money has finally started going out to the local governments to be able to fix these problems. So I'm very encouraged. I think the standards that MIDC has set are fantastic, some of the best in the country. Um, but if you're a um, indigent defendant today in Michigan, you probably are still facing some of these problems. You know, a lot of these wrongful conviction cases that I'm reviewing, that I'm interviewing people on, that I'm considering taking on, they are older. These are not the last, five, you know, seven, eight years since since your report, which is interesting. And I got to put that in perspective in my brain. Um, and so, you know, let's talk about Wayne County because Wayne County yeah. is our largest county. There mm -hmm. are probably more criminal cases there than any other county in Michigan by far. Yeah. And there is a, uh, based upon maybe your report and the commission's recommendation in the last two years, Wayne County mm -hmm. has opened an office called the, called the neighborhood defender services, which was, mm -hmm. uh, an offshoot of a branch in Harlem mm -hmm. that has come here with dozens of employees. I've had meetings. I've, I've, People are saying these are, are fabulous lawyers. These are um, great, you know, full-time investigators and social workers. And their website looks great. I've been hearing good mm -hmm. things. Um, is that, is that, I mean, and, but they're only taking 25% of the cases. Mm -hmm. So I don't know who's getting those other 75% of the cases, which makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Um, what, 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 you know, what's the, what's the hope here uh, for this, I know they got 17 or 18 million dollars to set up 
mm -hmm. a massive uh, new organization. So can you describe, you know, what it was and now what this organization is hoping to do? Yes. So um, we did a study of there was an existing public defender um, in, in Wayne County, um, a nonprofit that was contracting with the county. Um, we did a study for the county with MIDC funding in uh, April of 2018. It was released. What we found is that for the prior 16 years, Wayne County had flat funded that office. Now, flat funding is kind of a misnomer because even though you get the same amount of money, it doesn't mean the costs haven't escalated in that time. So the cost of defending um, poor people, um, you know, things like licensing fees for Westlaw and things, everything of course is going up. So that actually meant that the amount of money available to properly represent people was getting less and less and less. And what that office chose to do was to cut and cut and cut down to the bare bones so that um, basically the staff was 16 lawyers and that was it. No support staff really, uh, you know, just no social workers, very few investigators. Um, and to give people a sense, they also had salary freezes. So lawyers who had been at the bar for 20 plus years who were handling murder cases were earning $35,000 a year. Um, and so that is to me is just incredible. But you think about um, what else that means is over 16 years, the number of criminal cases in Wayne County kept escalating. So the only way to do that without increasing staff is to put more and more on the backs of the attorneys. So to give your listeners a sense, there's some national standards out there that say if you're a felony attorney, you should handle no more than 150 cases in a single year, and that's it. Now, national experts, including myself, think those numbers are outdated and those numbers should be way below um, that. Some of our best public defender offices in the country have caseload limits of 40 or 50 cases. 150 sounds like a lot. Right. In, yeah. Every other day you're getting a new one. Right. So you're opening, investigating, closing, and disposing of that case every other day. Now, so think about how high that is, 150. The, the attorneys in Wayne County were handling 400 to 600 cases a year. I mean, no one, not even, you know, Superman attorney could handle that caseload, no matter not how determined. Me. Yeah, exactly. No matter how caring determined you want to be, you cannot provide effective um, representation with those types of numbers. So that was what was in, in Wayne County. Um, with our report, uh, they, they basically ended that contract with that public defender office um, and they put it out to bid and they selected, as you said, neighborhood defender services who have an excellent represent, uh, reputation in Harlem. Uh, and uh, they uh, um, just really, I mean, I, I, I think there's, I'm not, I don't know the exact numbers we can ask them, but it's almost tripled the number of lawyers that are in that office now. Um, and uh, doing, doing things by standards that they should have been doing all along. Um, so that is just really, really encouraging that um, Wayne County, with the funding um, from the state through MIDC,
has gone that direction and said, you know, we really want to do this right. And um, I have great expectations and hope for that office, knowing the leadership from the Harlem office. You know, this question just occurred to me, all the cases that, I, that on the, the people who are claiming innocence mm -hmm. and we're claiming ineffective assistance of counsel, you know, it's almost every case. It's it's prevalent. And a lot mm -hmm. of these lawyers from back in the day were bad lawyers, multiple disciplines. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were disbarred. Some of them, most of them are dead by now. And, you know, are the Court of Appeals getting tired of hearing that argument? Are, is it is it shaking them up when they see that? Or are they just like, oh, ineffective assistance of counsel? Or, or do you find across the country that the judges are taking that seriously based upon all these exonerations, based upon all these horror stories that we're seeing? So the the problem really in, in most of the country is that oftentimes the overworked, underpaid, financially conflicted, untrained, unqualified lawyer uh, who does the trial is then appointed to do the appeal. And so the chance of anyone calling ineffectiveness on themselves is impossible. Um, and may not even be heard until it gets to the post-conviction state, where in many states you don't have a right to counsel. So it's really the, the system is, is, is rigged basically for poor people in a lot of places. Now in Michigan, I will say that um, uh, the State Appellate Defender Office and the uh, Managed Assigned Counsel level on the appellate um, level um, has a great national reputation. Um, we haven't ever studied them directly, so I can't say for certain, but I certainly know um, uh, the, the people that run it, and I think highly of them. So I do think there's more and more of these types of cases that get a shot in a state like Michigan than you would in many other states. Um, so I hope they're not tiring of this because I think the more and more um, these type of cases are uncovered, the better the chances of fixing the systemic deficiencies are in the first place. You know, I'm seeing numbers of that people can, people who get attorneys for felonies, over 80% of them have either a court appointed lawyer or someone from the public defender's office. Is, is that, are those numbers accurate? Uh, I, I would say they're incredibly low. Um, I think it's more like 90 or 93%. Um, that are doing it. So, um, and, 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 you know, we had we had a professor from U of M on last week, Professor Primus, who described the difference between mm -hmm. a public defender office, like we were just talking about at the uh, Neighborhood Defender Services, and just a court-appointed lawyer like myself who could raise their hand and say, hey, I, I want to make 500 bucks, give me a felony case. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty much the two, uh, the two ways people get help. Right. And... The, the, the that number you know is so high i just i wonder you know i've talked to a couple of people about this i read these transcripts and these are lawyers don't know how to do a cross-examination mm -hmm. they didn't call I, I was reading a wrongful uh uh conviction case where the person said he was with his girlfriend the defense attorney never called the girlfriend Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm looking at a, a, a gentleman who's spending a light life in prison without parole. Um, and the state produced seven medical doctors and the defense didn't produce one. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
this is 101. I mean, this literally is stuff they teach you in law school. They don't teach you everything in law school, but this is like, where's the defense? I've had a case where a judge uh, uh, on a friend of mine who's been out now 17 years, served 13 years, served nine years wrongfully, Kenny Wanako, judge gave his second defense attorney two days to prepare for a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a rape, a serious, serious case that he didn't do. It's just mind-blowing, you know, it's just mind-blowing the facts that you see in these transcripts. I mean, and, and, and I guess the question is, there's no panic button that a defendant mm-hmm. could press, mm-hmm. even a defense attorney who's over their head can press, right. the judges press, like, wait a minute, we're not ready, this guy's not ready, nobody's ready. It's like, it's like blinders, they're just going forward giving a horrible defense. And then once you're convicted, the rates of overturning those convictions are so ridiculously low Mm -hmm. that my belief is you need everything that you've been studying for your 20 plus years. That's critical. You Mm -hmm. know, this is the time to save these people's lives is in that first before trial Mm -hmm. between bail and trial. That's the time to really prepare and get ready. And in the past, it's just not happening. Yeah, I think you hit on it when you're talking about when you come out of law school, you're not trained to be a public defender, just as you're not trained to be a prosecutor or a judge. You learn the environment you're thrown into. And so I really think it's a a, um, a, a subconscious um, uh, um, process here that people can't see the injustices right in front of them because they've learned the system. And so they say, well, no one around here is objecting to this. Um, Therefore, it must be okay. You know, a lot of people, when they find out when the Sixth Amendment Center is doing a report, we always announce um, what courtroom we're going to be in and let the judges know. And everyone looks shocked, like, why? You know, they're going to be able to, you know, fake it. And, and my response is, when the systems are as broken as they are in this country, and certainly were in Michigan, it, they think they're doing it right. And so they welcome you. And I've seen the most horrible abuses right out in the open in public because no one can recognize it for themselves. Professor Primus last week talked about on her and two of her colleagues in the public defender office went down to Wayne County, sat at a sat unannounced and watched the process. And there was a public defender there for the day. I don't remember the name. It was a day public defender. Yeah. And that person actually wasn't working for the government, was just a private person probably making three, five, seven hundred dollars for sitting yeah. there and was acting kind of as the prosecutor and the defense attorney, churning and burning 30, 40 cases in a half a day. And right. they just all became appalled and set up the Michigan Innocence Clinic, and, and now we're doing like such beautiful needed work. Um, but you're right, you anybody could go walk into any courtroom and see some pretty messed up stuff. I actually really encourage your listeners to do just that. I, I'm always sort of a little shocked um, the number of people who've never stepped inside of a courtroom just to observe what's going on. I mean, especially today in this, in this time um, where people are really looking for police accountability. You know, that's supposed to be the defense counsel's role, 
right? They're supposed to be the check against government overreach. And when the system is broken as, as it is and that we've been discussing, there is no check. And so it is just that churn and burn that you described. I remember back when um, I was doing the, the report that I spoke about back in 2008, um, there was one county that openly talked about their court system as McJustice, that, it, you know, relating it to a fast food process. And they weren't saying that like it was a bad thing. They were saying it like it was, look how efficient we are. Look at how it's going. Turn um, them and burn them. Just turn them yeah. and burn them. Get everybody to plead guilty. Nobody right. wants a trial. They, I, you're, yeah. And so let's but, talk about that other 75% of the cases in Wayne County, because they are handled by private criminal defense attorneys. Um, we did a. So hold on, hold on. Let me stop sure. for a second. Is there no longer a public defender other than the mid neighborhood defender services? That's correct. So the other seventy five percent are guys like me, private practice, private pay, want to make some extra money, whether right. I'm qualified or not. I go down, I put my name on a list, and a judge will hand me a misdemeanor or felony case to handle without really giving me a much of a test or or checking my knowledge of of what I know. Right. So and, and it's worse than that, because there's also financial conflicts of interest in how they pay attorneys in Wayne County. Um, so when we did the study in uh, uh, two, it was published last year in August, um, they paid lawyers by the event, which means, you know, if you uh, went to visit someone in the jail, I think you got 40 bucks or something like that. But you could only get that one time, right? You couldn't you couldn't go and see your client three, four, five, six times and get paid that flat fee every time. So what do you think the chances are that people would go to the jail to visit to visit people? Um, on top of it, most of the events that you got paid for were only in court events. So all the work to prepare for trial, there was like one single fee for like a hundred bucks or something like that. But attorneys learned if you really wanted to make money, you had to be in court moving things as fast as possible to do it. So in our report, um, we found that on average, the amount of money a felony attorney learned, uh, earned per case was about $450 a case. Now, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you figure that out, you know, that's like spending, I don't know, four hours for, a, a, you know, what lawyers should be paid um, on a case. And it's simply because they're doing this and they've learned the system that to put food on their family's table, they have to turn and burn. And if a, and if a, and if a defendant says, I have a good defense to this, I didn't mm -hmm. do this. To take it to trial, they don't make that much more. Right, exactly. They make a they make they make a little more, but certainly not. I mean, getting ready for a trial mm -hmm. is dozens of hours. Mm -hmm. It's lots of work. It's eight-hour days, and you're definitely not. They're not going to compensate you fully for what you should be paid. Right now, there's there's hope here too. Um, Wayne County did their homework and um, contracted with Neighborhood Defender Services. They're in the process of fixing the assigned counsel system. So they're um, creating uh, an oversight structure so that, you know, it, the other thing is in the past, there was no one judging whether that 
attorney was doing a good job or not. I mean, the best assigned counsel systems in our country have very comprehensive supervision. You know, there are people doing courtroom observations, reviewing court files um, to make sure that attorneys are doing what they're supposed to. In the past, the only person that might have done that was a judge um, who can't look in a client's file, who can't talk to a client about their experience. Um, and so, um, again, these these problems are so ingrained, they don't get fixed overnight. But Wayne County is starting down that path of doing a correct um, version of, an, of a managed assigned counsel system. And I think down the road, there will probably be an expansion of neighborhood defender services to get more of the cases than just 25%. But that's sort of my David, own personal hope. David, are you up to date on whether or not the judges still control who gets the cases? Or has that been delegated to a commission or office that that parts and parcels them out so um i i'm i'm not completely up to date so i'm not gonna speculate on where it is in that process but what i will say is that um in the midc statutes it requires them to draft standards related to the independence of the defense function. And indeed, MIDC has drafted what I consider to be a very good standard on independence. Unfortunately, it hasn't been approved by the state yet. Um, and so that's something that is really needed in your state is for the, the MIDC standards to be approved. Um, and so hopefully that is coming soon. Um, and then that will be the point at which uh, the judges will finally be out over the oversight and appointment of all these attorneys. So let's say you're a, a indigent criminal defendant and you're given a court appointed attorney or a public defender mm -hmm. who pressures you into trying to uh, plead guilty because this person secretly doesn't want to try the case mm -hmm. and, and doesn't have the time and isn't going to be getting paid enough. Mm -hmm. What is the recourse for people sitting in jail waiting this trial or out on bail waiting this trial? What can they do? So it's really, really hard. Um, and, and, you know, it's really hard because poor people often, you know, are um, undereducated or maybe, maybe have uh, dependency issues or competency issues, um, mental health problems. So it's really hard to put it on the backs of poor people to try to fix this problem. Um, and so, you know, my advice is that if if you you should never pressure to do whatever, you know, and, and I understand a lot of times people will plead because, you know, they want to be out of jail if they're if they're being held pretrial. We know people do things for maybe not the best reasons, but they really, really need to hold their ground and not be pressured into this. The right to counsel is the right of the individual. Um, and they're the people making the decision in their case, right? The lawyer can only advise, but the lawyer is supposed to do what's in the stated interest of the client and themselves. And well, so but it's wait, tough. You, 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 right, so you haven't even, so my only thought, and tell mm. me if this is a terrible idea, but if I was sitting in jail waiting trial and i know i didn't do it and the defense attorney my attorney is saying they have this evidence and you know you can get six months if you plead guilty or if you get convicted you're going to get up to 10 years 
plead guilty. The only thing that person can do is if they know that they're innocent is either find themselves another attorney, however they personally can, yeah, or get in front of that judge, get a note to the judge, get something on the record. Mm -hmm. Your Honor, I didn't do this. My lawyer says I should plead guilty because he doesn't want to take this to trial and I need a better, more qualified attorney who's going to take me to trial and protect my rights. Certainly now, getting I, it on the record is, is, is great if people have the ability to do that. And like you said, a lot of these people are uneducated. They don't know that they have the right to do that. And a lot of judges aren't going to give them that opportunity, but they need to figure out a way to be that squeaky wheel to get in front of that judge and implore that judge to get them a better attorney, in mm -hmm. my opinion, mm -hmm. and create a record that, you know, continue to hit home on the innocence that I didn't do this. And right. I mean, that would certainly help down the road if God forbid there has to be an appeal, but, um, and yeah. the judge could deny it, but right. because they don't have to give them another attorney. They could talk to the attorney. They could tell yeah. that attorney to go to trial. And then is that attorney going to be pissed off at the client? Is that attorney going to give it to them? The, it's all, okay, you want your yeah. day in court? I'll give you your day in court. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it, it really is tough. Now, again, as we're saying, I am hopeful um, that Michigan is on the right path, that this won't be a problem in the future. Um, but it is still currently a problem. Um, and so, you know, I, I would like to see people, uh, citizens doing courtroom observations. Um, you know, it doesn't, uh, people often will say, well, you know, not being a lawyer, how can I judge whether the lawyer is doing a good job or not? And I say, you know, just go down and sit in a courtroom. <laughs> you can tell when things are off the rails. Even as a lawyer for mm -hmm. almost 30 years, sitting in a criminal courtroom is different. Mm -hmm. And just seeing the crimes that come up, come up, seeing the people in the, in the gallery, seeing the defendants, seeing the people come out in shackles from, I mean, it, it it's, everybody should witness that at least, at least once. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with you. Let's talk about bail for a second. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm recently learning how, I would use an F word here, but how screwed up the bail system is in, in America. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've spent any time researching bail, but I've seen statistics, David, that if you're awaiting bail and, the, and you can't afford to get out, you're 92% more likely to take that plea so you can go home. Mm -hmm. Then if you get out on bail, you're only pleading guilty 50% of the time, like half, just, just because people plead guilty just to get out of jail, even if they didn't do it. So um, the numbers you're quoting, yeah, the numbers you're quoting certainly feel right. Um, so uh, I, I'm I'm not going to object to your premise at all because that's I what got we these see. from the Bail Project, the National okay. Bail Project. I would and trust I them. Some of the, <laughs> I met with two of the young ladies who are running the Detroit Bail Project yesterday mm -hmm. for for coffee, and I'm learning about the problems of bail. They mm -hmm. told me a story how there was a woman who was given one dollar bail. And she couldn't post it. Mm -hmm. And they had to come in and bail her out for $1. This is an amazing organization, the Detroit Bail Project. Up to $5,000. They have lots of money. They told me that they could bail out almost every person in, in, in Michigan jails or in the Tri-County area mm -hmm. right now if they called them. And yep. I, 
Have you studied bail reform? Have you studied the problems with bail? Well, we, we certainly study um, the lack of counsel at bail hearings and the, and the need for them. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a great quote by, uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court in a case called Chronic v. United States. Um, and they say, of all the rights that an accused person has, uh, the right to be represented by counsel is the most pervasive, for it affects the ability of that person to exert any of the other right, rights he may have. I, I might be a little off on the quote, but that's the gist of it. And it's so true. You know, you can't, you know, public defenders are supposed to be there fighting um, for for uh, bail reductions or no bail. But in most of the country, they aren't um, representing people at bail hearings. Um, and, you know, that is uh, really um, the, the things that you're quoting, um, the numbers are absolutely true from what we've seen. And, um, you know, so people in your, your, your listening audience understand we're one of only two countries left in the world that has monetary bail, the other one being the Philippines. I mean, it just isn't done. And there's no proof that bail um, improves the rate at which people come back to court. Um, and, and really, um, just because someone has money doesn't mean they're not a, a public safety threat. So we really should be getting rid of monetary bail and really looking at, you know, whether there's a public safety need to have someone in jail pre-trial. I'm with you. I'm learning about the bail system mm -hmm. and it's, it's atrocious. Mm -hmm. um, and thank God for the bail project. Thank God that, that people are, are getting bailed out who can't afford it mm -hmm. because you're right. You know, even $500 bail, a lot, a lot, a lot of people in Wayne County can't afford that and will sit there until they either plead guilty or await trial. And it's just, I mean, that's that's just yeah. a nightmare. It's a nightmare scenario. Right. So so in just to sort of put it in further context, right? They are sitting in jail on taxpayers' money, right? It costs a lot of money to house somebody. And so if you're in jail, you know, two weeks, two months, whatever it is, um, before before you're allowed to get out or to have your day in court, that's costing the taxpayers of Michigan a lot of money. And so, especially at this time when we're talking about reallocating justice dollars from different parts of the criminal justice system, um, the back end is the most, put, keeping people in jail is the most expensive way possible to deal with behavior that we either are afraid of or don't like. And we really need to be talking about shrinking the size of the criminal justice system altogether, getting rid of cash bail. All of this is, is stuff that the Black Lives Matter movement is really bringing to the fore right now. And I'm encouraged that people are finally starting to have these conversations and looking at what the criminal justice system is really like. How did we get away from allowing people to go in front of an arraignment, which is where they set the bail amount without an attorney? Are, are you saying, is it, is, are they not entitled to an attorney at the arraignment? At the arraignment, you are. Now, just because you're entitled to, to it doesn't mean you get one, right? So, okay. um, um, but the U.S. Supreme Court has said that an arraignment is a critical stage at which you must have counsel. It's just that people often ignore what the Supreme Court says. They have never been asked specifically the question on 
uh, do you have the, it, it, it should a bail hearing be considered a critical stage? So it's a little ambiguous right now. Um, and it, it's also ambiguous because in a lot of the country, the bail hearing and the arraignment happens at the same time, but it doesn't always, they can be different um, events. Um, oftentimes you're, um, you know, within 48 hours, you'll get some sort of video bail hearing or something like that before a judge and it's all sort of done you know, um, uh, not in the public view. Um, and so um, it's hard for people to understand exactly um, what happens in those events. I'll make a note here. I, I don't know in, in, in Detroit, because I don't do criminal defense work. I'm a injury lawyer, but you know, it, I, you're right. A lot of that is video hearings and a lot of that mm -hmm. is just the judge, $500, $500, $500, $1,000, right. you know, they don't have a flight risk. They don't need to be paying bond. I And and this, another statistic, because I've done my homework, Dave, is um, 90, over 90% of the people who the Bell Project, it's not their money, the Bell Project's mm -hmm. giving the money for them, come back to court, over 90%. So, they're, so, you know, the thought that bail is what's bringing them back to court absolutely yeah. isn't true. And the Bell Project's numbers support that and prove it wholeheartedly. Right. And, and you know, let, let's just assume that someone has, you know, a minimum wage job or, you know, uh, does, does, you know, occasional work part time or something like that. Isn't it better to have them out earning money and contributing to the tax base than sitting in jail at the taxpayer's expense? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I wonder if the prosecutors and the judges know that they're going to plead guilty if we keep them in there rather than letting them go home, be with their family, get attorneys, sit down and really figure this out. I really mm -hmm. wonder. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, back in the day, this could be just a longstanding thing. Judges, new judges come in and they're like, this is what we do. It's 500 bucks. It's a thousand bucks. It's just so been going on forever. It's that unconscious ethical blindness. It's the system they learned. You know, I I actually, because I have traveled all across the country, I've got to say most people who are uh, criminal justice stakeholders, whether they're judges, prosecutors, defense, probation, you name it, I think most people go into it um, trying to give back to their community, trying to do, you know, a good job. Um, I, I don't see a lot of people consciously trying to say, hey, let's let's uh, let's undermine these people's right to an attorney. Um, it just happens. Um, and it's because it's been going on for so long. It really takes, you know, organizations like myself shining a light on it or, you know, um, I think very highly of the ACLU and the lawsuits they've brought across the country. Um, those are the types of things that can illuminate this and sort of break people free from that uh, that subconscious ethical blindness to say, I, I didn't, I didn't see it, even though it was happening right in front of me. Well, thank you for helping shine some light on this uh, troubling topic. I'm hoping that these new agencies will help. I'm hoping all the other counties in Michigan, you know, are following the commission's guidelines that you helped, you know, set up or recommend that they set up. Mm -hmm. Really, uh, really good stuff. And I appreciate you being here on Open Mic today. My pleasure. And now I have to go back and watch Eve Primus on your show because I haven't seen, seen that yet. So She's great. <laughs> you should check out the uh, wrongful conviction 
uh, podcast with Kenny Wanenko. I did see that one. You did? Yeah. How how heartbreaking is that story? I mean, it's 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 terrible. I mean, and and you know, uh, you know, I was I was giving praise to um, the ACLU. I also have to give a shout out to the Innocence Project. I think really their uncovering of all these wrongful convictions is really a seed that was planted when they started up years ago that's really coming to fruition because people are finally understanding people in jail aren't all guilty. And that's been an incredible boom for criminal justice reformers like ourselves, for them to be able to find those stories and show them to the world. And that's one reason we're trying to showcase them here on our podcast, because these people's stories, I mean, I've been privileged uh, to sit with Kenny and Aaron Salter, and I had lunch this week with David Moran up at the Innocence Mm -hmm. Clinic in Michigan. These professionals put their whole lives, their hearts, their souls into bringing justice where there was no justice. And these are not close calls. Right. <laughs> you know, they're working on a, on a case right now with uh, a gentleman in the in, in prison over 33 years, Kensu, who who he was 400 miles away from the crime when it was committed. Kenny that couldn't have done it in a, in a million years, nor could have Aaron Salter. No, no. Had they had good counsel, which we talked about for the first half hour of this podcast, none of this would have happened. They would not have been locked away for nine or 13 years or 30 years. That's where, as a lawyer, I am so upset, so offended. That's why I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm sitting in courtrooms. That's why I'm talking to people like you to try to figure out, you know, where there is no simple fix. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the defense, the, the defense, Michigan Indigenous Defense Commission is definitely a massive, massive start here in Michigan. Funding it is a huge, huge thing. Um, getting good attorneys to do the court, uh, the cases, getting good attorneys to do the appeals, which I'm starting to look into to see what we can do as a firm, because this injustice, I don't want any family to have to deal with. And after meeting these people and right. seeing their beautiful hearts and their and, and 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 reading their stories it's just heartbreaking like have you seen the movie just mercy yet you know i haven't but i i have read the book and i know brian so <laughs> so my 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 uh college da- age daughter told me to watch it my middle daughter and i watched mm. it sobbing the whole time but that case for the reason i brought it up is because mm. for whoever's watching listening to this watch just mercy on uh, i believe netflix Mm-hmm. Maybe not Netflix, but just mercy. And what happened in that case with the bad prosecution, the bad cops, the bad judge, the bad the, the jailhouse snitch is so cookie cutter. What I'm seeing, it's like, oh, another jailhouse snitch. Oh, yeah. another bad cop who doesn't give a shit about justice. Oh, judge who does conservative doesn't care. It's like it's like. There's like a, a playbook for, for wrongful convictions that Eve Primus, Professor Primus, lays out. Uh, but be curious. Send me an email when you, after you watch it. Let me know what you thought of that. Will um, do. Real, real smart person who who's doing some great work. I agree. Um, shedding a light. So, sounds like they're producing some really good lawyers mm-hmm. who are giving back. She gave a story how she's making. She looked at her students and said, every one of you in the next two years must take on one of these indigent cases and do a great job and follow these steps. Because even though you're only out two years, you're going to do a lot better job than people who do this 40 or 50 years who are just doing this to make a buck. And um, anyway, 
We could go on and on and on. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for doing the research and uh, please stay in touch. Will do. And um, just for your, your listeners, uh, please go to our website. They have the reports there that you can look at on Wayne County in particular. Um, there's been uh, a bunch of um, blog posts that I've done on Michigan. They're all there. People can educate themselves on how bad these problems are. David, will you please email me or Ryan or, or Kevin um, all of your information, all of your social media handles so we can put them in our notes? Absolutely. Pleasure. All right. David Carroll, Executive Director, Sixth Amendment Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. You never know who you're going to see. I beat one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. It's timing. It's right for time. the clinching goal <laughs> to bring the trophy back. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. They're desperate because they don't have opportunity. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime, show them things they wouldn't normally see. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic with David Carroll here today. Fascinating discussion about indigent counsel and things that need to be done and tips to, to keep you safe and talking bail and all these kind of things. So I hope you found it interesting. Please share it. Please like it. Comment away. Email me if you have any questions or ideas for other shows. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel or any other podcast channel where you're listening to this. Thanks again. See you next time.